Hello to all you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And to get this show every day, I need you to subscribe to Locked On Mets wherever you get your podcasts. Google, Apple, Spotify, Himalaya. Also, don't forget when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Mets. Now, I'm going to spend today's show talking about Josh Hader because it turns out the Mets are interested in trading for the Milwaukee Brewers all-star closer. But there is a lot that comes with Josh Hader, including some pretty unsavory tweets from his past. And that's something I'm going to get into in the first half of the podcast before kind of getting into the mechanics of what a Josh Hader trade would bring to the Mets in the second half. Before we get to any of that, though, I'm your host, Ryan Fickelstein. If you want to find any of my work, check me out on Twitter, at FickelsteinRyan. You can also find some of my writing about the Mets at MetsmerizedOnline.com. So I wanted to start with these racist and homophobic tweets. It was a big scandal on Josh Hader's resume back in 2018 that came out right around the time that he was in the All-Star game. And... When this kind of got reintegrated into my attention today, when his name gets floated out, I kind of thought back, and I never read the tweets personally, so I was—I just don't like this whole entire new age, right? I don't like this idea that we're going to dig through tweets when someone was in high school and hold it against them uh, to this day. And I actually started to think, I mean, he's like a modern-day John Rocker. I mean, that's what came through my mind. I'm like, John Rocker, when he was literally in the big leagues pitching for the Atlanta Braves, he made comments to a reporter, which in my opinion is way worse than some dumb kid sending out tweets. And I thought, there's no way we can really compare what these two guys did as far as the scope of it because Rocker was a knowing adult that made these decisions He was quoted in the newspaper, and if you don't remember this story, basically, this was something that took place when he was asked about playing for the Mets. Would he ever do that? And at the time, Rocker, of course, was an all-star closer for the Braves, and he said this, and I'm going to try to clean it up a little bit, but he says, quote, I'd retire first. It's the most hectic, nerve-wracking city. Imagine having to take the 7 train to the ballpark, looking like you're riding through by route next to some kid with purple hair, next to some gay guy with AIDS, right next to some dude who just got out of jail for the fourth time, right next to some 20-year-old mom with four kids. It's depressing. The biggest thing I don't like about New York are the foreigners. You can walk an entire block in Times Square and not hear anybody speaking English. And then he goes on to list all the different countries and nationalities and asks how those people got into the country. So... This was a huge story that kind of derailed Rocker's career at the time. And basically, it was made public through newspapers. And that was kind of the way things were going back in 1999. Now you flash forward to 2019, 20 years later. And it's Josh Hader going to an all-star game. And somebody scrolling through his Twitter who just found out about the guy. Going back to his days in high school seven years prior, and saying, oh, wait a minute, wow, look at these tweets from when he was in high school, he's talking about all of these things, and I thought, 
is that necessarily right to criticize Hater the same way as Rocker? And that was really my point going into this podcast. That was what I was thinking. But as I'm doing research, I go back and I look at the tweets. He really is the modern-day John Rocker. I mean, these tweets are deplorable. You look back and you read it, and he straight up says, I hate gay people. I mean, there's so many tweets that I can't even repeat because of the vulgar language. Constantly tweeting out the N-word. At one point, he tweets out white power. I mean, there's a lot of things in there that you look at, and it goes a step above just a dumb kid tweeting stuff. And really, it's a lesson to be learned on a lot of levels. I mean, if there's anyone listening to this podcast who's in middle school and high school, think long and hard before you put send on that tweet or that Facebook post or whatever. I remember... Growing up, my dad really hammered into me and my sister that anything that you write into the internet or even a text you send to your friends, that is forever. You can't take those things back and context and all those things that might have come with it get stripped away. I know some of these tweets from Hater, he was tweeting rap lyrics, but if there's no context and they are just attached to your name, those tweets become you. And so... As much as originally I was thinking, well, what Josh Tater did, how bad was it really? You know, that's what I came into the day thinking. I was like, wow, this guy is an elite closer. The Mets get him. Look at the way their bullpen can be. What's it going to take to trade for him? And then I really start thinking, well, how bad was this pass? I mean, here is a guy who has, you know, gone through that in 2018. He's still been in the league. He's still been producing at an elite level. The Brewers fans seem to love him because he's great on the field. But what does that mean putting him into the New York media? And I really didn't realize how bad the tweets were. I don't know if I didn't read them at the time or if I just forgot about him. But then when you go through, and it's not hard to find, you look up Josh Hader tweets, go to Google Images, and they're all screen capped there. You can find them all. It's it's pretty disturbing to look through. And so as much as I wanted to come into this podcast saying, how is this guy the modern day John Rocker? It's crazy how everything has changed. John Rocker was in Major League Baseball when he made the comments. It's so much worse. When I look back and I look at the tweets, it's hard to really defend Josh Hader and say, oh yeah, that was a long time ago. So I think the bottom line is, Teenagers are stupid, okay? Like, let's get that off the jump. I mean, he made a mistake when he was younger. He shouldn't have made those opinions public, and they came back to haunt him. At the same time, even if he has matured and grown, those opinions were his own, and I don't know if I want to put that type of a volatile person into this locker room and trade a hefty package to get it. It's one thing if Josh Hader's a free agent and you're going to say, you know what, we're going to sign the guy and deal with the you know PR blowback. But we're talking about maybe trading one of your great young players to get a Josh Hader and to bring that on. And that's something that I don't think the Mets should do, but that they might do. And I'm going to talk about why in just a minute. All right, Mets fans, so will Josh Hader be a Met? That's a question that all of a sudden is going through our minds after reports that the Mets are interested in trading for the all-star closer. And 
one of the biggest pieces that makes this a possibility is his relationship with Brody Van Wagen and the general manager because Brody was his agent. So as Josh Hader was going through all of this drama in 2018 and he had to send out a public apology, I bet you Brody Van Wagen had something to say about what Hader put in that apology. And so all of a sudden that adds another layer to this because if the Mets are interested and Brody wants this guy, it makes a lot of sense because he went out and got a lot of former clients last year. And let's be honest, that didn't work. Robinson Cano probably had the worst year of his career. Jed Lowry, he couldn't even get on the field. And so as much as I thought when the Mets were getting Brody Milwagon in that this would be a real benefit to the Mets because of some of that inside information he would have, if he's just bringing in his former clients because he likes them and thinks they're great baseball players, I don't necessarily know if that's the right way to do business. And this guy has that past that I would be concerned with. But the bottom line when it comes to Josh Hader is he's a very good relief pitcher. I don't think anyone is questioning that. He's got a career 2-4-2 ERA across just over 200 innings pitched. He's struck out 349 batters across that span for a strikeout per nine rate of 15.3. He's got elite stuff. He was an all-star the last two years. He won the Trevor Hoffman Reliever of the Year Award in the National League the last two years, an award that probably should have gone to Seth Lugo or maybe even or maybe even Kirby Yates of the Padres, but that's neither here nor there. This past season, Hader pitched to a 2.62 ERA. He finished 46 games. He saved 35 games. He pitched 75 and two-thirds innings. He struck out 138 batters. His strikeout per nine rate was a career-best 16.4. His strikeout to walk rate was a career-best 6.90 as he cut down on his walks this year, only walking 20 batters in those 75 and two-thirds innings pitched. So there's a lot of talent there, but at the same time, what's the cost of acquisition? Because even tabling all of the tweets and all that drama... I'm not trading Jeff McNeil for Josh Hader, and that was floated by one of these stories I read today talking about this. J.D. Davis, on the surface, if I could do a J.D. Davis for Josh Hader trade, I would do it based on talent alone without all these things to talk about on the side of it. But to send a big package again for a relief pitcher, it's like you're not learning from your mistakes because last year the Mets did the same thing with Edwin Diaz. And that didn't work. Relief pitchers are volatile. And I'm not even talking about what they're tweeting about when they're in high school. They are up and down. Some are great some years. Other years they can fall off a cliff in an instant. And so to continue to trade top packages to get relief pitchers as opposed to just going out and spending the $9 million or whatever it will take to get Dylan Batances or Trying to sign Will Harris. I mean, there is relievers on the market that can make an impact that aren't going to cost you a J.D. Davis and aren't going to cost you some of your top prospects. This isn't to say I wouldn't trade J.D. Davis because I've said I absolutely would. At the same time, it has to be the right deal. And acquiring Josh Hader with everything that comes with it, that just doesn't seem like the right move at this point. But... When you start to see multiple news outlets 
publishing articles and reporters sending tweets telling you that the Mets are interested in Josh Hader. That's not coming out of thin air. It's not. The Brewers made him available. The Mets need relief pitching. And basically, they leaked these things to reporters like Andy Martino to see what the fan base is going to say and how they're going to react to that type of a move. At the end of all of it, it always comes back to the money. And the fact that he's in his first year of arbitration and is not going to make a significant amount of money this year, that tells you all you need to know as to why the Mets are interested. But that pitcher that you're just acquiring now isn't going to be cheap on this contract. That's the thing that's also frustrating about this because Edwin Diaz is about to make a pretty good amount of money through arbitration because of all the saves he had with the Mariners, and even this year, despite the bad pitching we saw. Josh Hader has a resume that's going to get him paid in arbitration. Two All-Star appearances, two NL Reliever of the Year awards. That is going to get you money. So it's not even like this guy isn't going to cost you something. But the Mets are very rigid in the way they do business. It's a year-to-year, how do we get below our certain payroll scope that we want for this season. Okay, let's go out and make some trades and get this guy to fill a need because for this season, he's not going to cost us too much. And it's that way that they do business that they continue to give themselves a significant disadvantage to other teams that are willing to say, you know what, right now you look at our books like the Dodgers might at one point, like the Red Sox may have done at one point, Actually, the Red Sox did this and won a World Series with it a couple years ago. You look at the books and you say, wow, we've made some mistakes. And if you look at our payroll, they're still on there and they're going to hurt us and it's going to be tough for us to compete. For a year, rather than making more poor decisions and compounding our mistakes, let's spend the money, go into the luxury tax, compete this year, continue to keep our fan base engaged, As money comes off the books, we can make sure we don't make those same mistakes again to put us in the position where we have to go into the luxury tax. You don't have to be a luxury tax team. But when you put yourself in this position the Mets are in now, if you aren't a luxury tax team, then you're going to get into the situations where you're trading J.D. Davis, Andres Jimenez, and Mark Vientos for Josh Hader and your fan base, who is pretty smart, is going to hate you. So let's see what the Mets ultimately do with this. But to me, this is a no-go. I would not trade for Josh Hader. Not only because of his past, but also because of what it will cost the Mets presently and how that may cost them in the future. Thank you for listening. Remember, you subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget, when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play. Podcast Locked On Mets.